Everybody, welcome to the Atheist Experience. We are live. It is Sunday, May twenty fifth, two thousand fourteen. I'm Matt Delaney. This is Don Baker. Hey, it's been seven months. Seven since months the two since of us we've been on together. Holy yeah. moly! Yeah, you couldn't avoid me any longer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Eventually, it had to happen. So, welcome everybody. As as uh, most of you probably know by now, this is a live public access television program out of Austin, Texas, and we take live calls and ask questions and answer questions and try to get to what you believe and why. And uh, maybe we'll agree, maybe we won't. Who knows? But uh, one of the things that we we do from time to time is some of the hosts actually bring in a topic to discuss, and Don is our resident topic maestro. So we're going to talk today a little bit about the Dark Ages before That's we right. take calls. That's cool. right. How have you been, by the way? Good, good. It's been a long time since I've seen you. You've it's been running around doing debates and things. Good for you. Yeah, I've got a debate coming up this Saturday in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I'm debating Cy Tenberg and Kate. Um, Who's um, that? <laughs> Some guy. Some guy. Okay. No, it's uh, the topic is: Is it reasonable to believe that a god exists? And um, Sai is a presuppositionalist, and I'm not going to bore anybody with what all of that means. Um, but it's sponsored by uh, RecoveringFromReligion.org, which um, is a, a great group that I I do work with and promote. One of the things that Recovering from Religion kind of is their bread and butter is that as people depart religion, as people leave um, different religions, they often need a place to land. Yeah. They need, you know, a community. Some, and some, some, detox, of them, huh? some of them may need help and assistance, mm. in it, whether it be, you know, they've lost their entire social network or... Oh, yeah, that's a big issue. They could have lost jobs or family or whatever else, but uh, not everybody who comes out of religion comes out with, uh, oh, I thank God I'm free at last, and now I can just go live my life. For some people, it's tougher than others. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so Recovering from Religion does a really good job of, of that, um, as does uh, the Clergy Project, mm-hmm. which is an, another group. Right. Uh, and Clergy Project is devoted to uh, current or former clergy persons who uh, are non-believers. And we know that there are many of them still standing in the pulpit preaching who do not believe. Yeah. And um, thanks to my uh, my twin brother, Jerry DeWitt, uh, who I love dearly, who was the first person in the clergy project to get rid of his anonymity and actually speak out and, and wrote a book and stuff. And so as, as the world changes around us, um, we need more and more different types of atheist groups and communities um, to Approaches make and viewpoints yeah. and uh, ways of debating, all sorts of things, right? It's, it's not just the bald, bearded white guys club anymore, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, bitching about religion. Now there's a there's a whole there's lot some more guys with hair every once in a while, every right? now and then. <laughs> <laughs> what do you well, know? Why don't you tell us about the dark ages? <clears throat> okay. Well, I, I've I've been doing a long series on the failures of Christianity, and today is the twenty fourth failure show. So uh, still, let's still let's not call it a failure show. <laughs> a failure show. Uh, a show, a show about fail. failures. About failures, right? 
So, uh, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of failures, and uh, it begs the question of, uh, you know, if your God's on your side, uh, why are you why are you having so much trouble with this? Um, I saw a bumper sticker, and it's kind of based on uh, this this uh, wonderful quote from Ruth Hermanence Green. Hermanence Green. Uh, she was an author of the Born Again Skeptic's Guide to the Bible in 1997, so it's an early, earlier uh, new atheist. Uh, her quote was, there was a time when religion ruled the world. It was known as the Dark Ages. And, and that's kind of the gist of the show. The Middle Ages was a period between the fall of the Roman Empire and the Renaissance from the 5th to the 15th century, also known as the Dark Ages. Uh, one of some of the big events, Constantine becomes, becomes Roman em- emperor and Christianizes the declining empire. And, you know, even though the empire was in decline, Christianity was, was there and largely unopposed and had all sorts of power for 10 plus centuries. So, um, there's this wonderful Bible quote, from their fruits ye shall know them. So what did they do with their power? What, you know, what, completely unopposed, what sorts of wonderful things did, did Christians do? Isn't well, this the period of time where there was just massive scientific discovery and improved health care and just... No, no, no? not that. Okay. Not that. Uh, they did do some good art and architecture, but that was kind of uh, bribes, I think, for uh, the uh, um, purgatory. They, they could, the, the, the artists could go through purgatory and selling indulgences. Indulgences, right? Yeah. That was another thing. So nothing particularly great came out of the Dark Ages. So I want to look at three. I wonder faith- if that's why we call them the Dark, the Dark Ages. Ages. That's right. I want to look at three faith-based initiatives of the Dark Ages. I want to, the suppression of pagans and heretics, the Crusades, and the destruction of knowledge. And there are many more events. Of course, this is like ten centuries. Good grief! There's lots of lots of stuff. But I wanted to point these out. Uh, the suppression of pagans and heretics. Well, Rome was a melting pot of conquered cultures uh, in the heyday, and it, it had a mixture of religions. Um, those that were non-Christian were kind of branded as pagan or lumped together altogether. Um, and the religious tolerance that existed under most of the Roman rule vanished uh, at, at the end there and, and, and under Constantine and, and those. Uh, a, later, a later emperor, Theodosius, uh, stepped up the destruction of pagan practices and buildings starting in 383. Um, Constantine and Theodosius were considered godly emperors serving the church and crushing its enemies. Because uh, that sounds really, you know, let's crush our enemies. Right, right. In the love of Jesus. In the love of Jesus, right. So around this time, we had the Council of Nicaea, canonizing certain texts and practices, making a whole lot of Christians heretics because they had so many variations of Christianity and only one kind of came out of there. Um, and so these, these Christian minorities ended up being, being persecuted as well. So thus began a centuries-long persecution, torture, execution of non-Christians. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas summed up the standard medieval position as when he declared that the obstinate heretics deserved not only to be separated from the church, but also eliminated from the world by death. And so this is, this is how, what happens when you have church and state mixed. So unfortunately for Christianity, suppression was a failure. The truth really has nothing to fear from alternative views. But dogma requires active suppression of those views in order to keep the dogma alive. Murder and torture may allow you to get your way, but it has nothing to do with love or treating human life as sacred, which is a you know, bit of modern propaganda. Ultimately, the suppression failed. Many of the variations of Christianity and other religions still endure today, such as 
Zoroastrianism and Islam. Those those are other religions that were persecuted but but made it out. A couple of them didn't make it out. Catharism and Mithraism. Uh, you know, is the world better without them? I'm, I'm not so sure. So many people today uh, view the separation of church and state as a hallmark of a civilized society. So it seems like they've kind of lost that battle in the long run. The Crusades is the next one I want to talk about. Uh, the Crusades was a, mil- a set of religious military campaigns initially to take back the Holy Lands, Jerusalem, from the mu- Muslims. There were six thrusts over 200 years from 1095 to 1291, and hundreds of thousands of Christians became crusaders and were given plenary indulgences by the Catholic Church in compensation. And this is sort of a, a little bit more than a pat on the head. Uh, it was kind of a forgiving of, of, of sins and, and uh, of, uh, of penance and these sorts of things that um, I'm sure a lot of the, the, the folks thought it was uh, a free trip to heaven. So there's a little debate about what that really meant. Um, they killed those that got in their way, including the Cathars, the Jews, the Byzantines, the Muslims, pretty much anybody. And they sacked and pillaged, and eventually, uh, 200 years or so, they did capture Jerusalem. Well, the Crusades were kind of a failure as well, even though they, they got the Holy Lands. Um, they had a lot of poor military coordination due to the feudal cultural differences of the different different sort of tribes, effectively, shifting alliance, allegiances between them, and aristocrat noblemen desiring of fame, wealth, and glory, uh, not, not wanting to take, uh, take orders from other people. So the banner of God didn't make them an effective military force, and it took 200 years to do this. Uh, it also shows how wealth and power are a driving force of Christianity. Think of the Holy Lands as a pilgrimage moneymaker. Think of a Jesus Disneyland. You know, they're going to extract money out of the pilgrims that are going to go there and, and, and you know, check out all the, all the, the, the wonderful things in, in, uh, in the Holy Land. And so this shows how Christianity is placing material things above human life. And there was a motto during one of the Crusades, kill them all, the Lord will recognize his own. And ironically, now the Holy Lands are under Israel, under primarily Jewish rule. So that, that kind of uh, ended up doing something completely different. The next thing I want to talk about briefly is the destruction of knowledge. Now, book burning is not necessarily a religious thing, uh, although religions tend to do this or have done this, uh, as a way of suppressing heretical ideas through the centuries. Uh, Book burnings in the Dark Ages were just, just another way to destroy the pagan cultures or the heretic cultures to make room for Christianity. And often, instead of just burning books, why not burn entire libraries? And why not burn the people that wrote the books or are guarding the books? That sort of thing. So that happened, too. So we have uh, the destruction of the Library of Alexandria. The Library of Alexandria was the greatest warehouse of knowledge in the ancient world. It was a cultural and educational hub open to all from the... Th- and, uh, let's see, in the third century... Uh, no, it was it was created in the third century before the Common Era and lasted until 391 in the Common Era, so, so 600 years or so, uh, when it was destroyed by Christians. Emperor Theodosius uh, again mentioned uh, issued a decree blanding all religions other than Christianity and Christian groups under the bishop Bishop Theophilus burnt the 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 library in 391, thus ending the library as a public institution. Later, one of the curators and scholars of, uh, and philosopher Hypatia was murdered. She, uh, she was also associated with the library. 
and uh, murdered, mutilated, and dismembered by Christian mob in 451. And thus, she became the first martyr to science. There's another a little little vignette that's, that's kind of, I think, instructional, and that is um, there was this, uh, this document found that was the uh, Archimedes Palimpsest. It was a document originally uh, contained a number of works of Archimedes. Archimedes lived in uh, 200 BCE, and some of his works were copied along the way, and this particular copy was made in uh, 950 A.D., in Byzantium, the 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 uh, Christians got a hold of this thing and said, "Oh, paper!" And so they scraped off the ink and washed washed it clean by monks in in 1229 for for reuse. And they used it as a litur- liturgical text for religious services. And this document was discovered in in this last century, and the original content was re- reconstructed using modern techniques, different, different types of light waves and these sorts of things. And uh, they found um, in it uh, all sorts of interesting uh, um, works of Archimedes, one of which was, this is the only copy. And this copy is called The Method of Mechanical Theorems, which is really the initial discovery of integral calculus. So imagine back in you know, 200 BCE, integral calculus was invented not in the 17th century when we think it was. And if, if we had only, if, if anybody along the way had any, any smarts or knew what, what, what they really had in their, in their pocket, um, you know, how much better the world would be with this thing. But, but yet it was, it was you know, sort of savage for the paper that it was contained on. So that's, that's uh, kind of, I think, in, in one little vignette sums up the whole mindset of, of, of this, get rid of all the old knowledge because it's it's not it's not good for Jesus or whatever. So the destruction of knowledge is a failure too. Everybody is poorer for for that, and the suppression of truth doesn't succeed in the long run. Eventually, it comes out, and it shows the evil nature of Christianity. If knowledge and truth are at odds with Christianity, then Christianity is clearly not the truth and is a false religion. Very simple. So when Christianity ruled the world, it, was, it really showed its true nature. People were persecuted, knowledge was destroyed, wealth and power mattered over all else, and it was the Dark Ages. And that's a failure of Christianity. All right. And that's the 24th that's failure the 24th of Christianity. That's the 24th failure. Yeah. The thing is, um, I don't know that there's a limit to the num- number of failures that we can discover. Um, so it's a good thing you're keeping count. Right. Because you never right. know. Um, Might be added a while. It could be, you know, we get to like, this is the 486th and final failure of Christianity. Only because Christianity no longer exists. It stopped failing. It stopped failing, right. On October 4th. Um, thank you so much. Okay, cool. let's take some calls. Yeah, let's get, let's get to some calls. We got Kyle in Georgetown. How are you? Hi, how's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for waiting. Hey, I'm a, a longtime fan of the show. It's the first time I've ever called in. Cool, thanks. Um, yeah, I had a question. I actually had a question about miracles and technology, but I also had another question about joining uh, the Austin Atheist community. Also, but uh, I, I can't answer the second one. Okay, because of rules of a, the TV show. Yeah, but oh. you can you can check out our website. And okay. Get information there. All right, I appreciate it. So let's go with the miracle question. Okay. Um, so. There's a, a quote by either I think he's a, either a scientist or a, or a science a fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke. Okay, and, and, 
and, and what did he say about uh, uh, he was? I, I actually heard it discussed first on this show. Yeah, and sufficiently it, it advanced like, technology is indistinguishable from magic. I believe is is the something that's the gist of it anyway. Yeah. So it's kind of a, a, t- a tomato tomato thing. Well, what it means is that um, if you are unfamiliar with a particular technology, if it is so far beyond your comprehension that you are in a position where that technology is indistinguishable from magic. They, you know, you, you have no way to comprehend it. And so if somebody took a cell phone back to the dark ages, oh, granted there'd be no tower for anybody to call, but if you, if you still had power and you could pull up whatever game you were playing and piddle around on it and touch and do stuff like that, to them it would appear to be magic because they have no... They are missing so many steps in the foundation of understanding that technology that it, to them, is magic. But in principle, something like that in principle could be understood by a human brain. Sure, and and kind of touches on what what Don was talking about. If if we hadn't lost the library at Alexandra, and and other uh, things, we might have had integral calculus, you know, a, a millennia earlier. And how much further along would we be? And so I'm. I don't think that. Um, that in this short period of time, let's say 2,000 years, that our brains have evolved dramatically. So I don't see any reason why you couldn't go back in time, if you, if it's possible, and uh, teach first century people um, how to do about the technologies that we now understand. Well, what I, uh, well, I think the first time I heard it, I kind of just jumped to the conclusion of imagining a, some other type of alien species. And so mm-hmm. I guess my, what kind of made it stick in my head was if the, if the species is so much more advanced than us that, you know, it's the difference between, say, us and, and some kind of a monkey maybe, then uh, if we can't understand the technology, if, it, if our minds are not capable of understanding it, then that seems to, that's kind of a, uh, creates a very, kind of opens up a really big hole in the sense that how can you say that something is that is is not supernatural if you can't if you can't grasp the no, 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 the no, no, aspect no. The, bur- of it. the burden of proof is on somebody claiming something is supernatural to prove that it is sure absolutely but what i think what i'm saying is is that if you're dealing with an alien species who you can't even grasp the the uh the the their thinking and their uh, perspective, then the technology itself, if it can't in principle even be understood by a human brain, then it seems to have created a well, we're kind so, of a We're sort of there point. now, right, in the sense that there's, there's lots of areas of science where there's mysteries and unsolved problems and things that we just can't explain. And the right answer is we don't know or we're looking into it, or we're, we're, we're trying to figure it out. That's the right answer. The right answer doesn't become, oh, it's supernatural, until sure. you can actually demonstrate a supernatural cause, which, by the way, you can't. Right. But would that, at that point, is it is it really appropriate to say that there's no difference between that and a miracle? Because that seems like it's not a miracle. So a miracle is a violation of the laws of nature. It, it would certainly be the case that people who don't understand it might perceive it as a miracle and may even label it as a miracle, but they would in fact be wrong. So what about in the uh, these uh, scenarios people create of simulations? In other words, 
if it's some kind of a simulation like a computer game and you're violating, like a programmer can violate the, the kind of the physics laws of the simulation. So in that sense, he's kind of violating, it's kind of not natural, it's violating the physics, the physics of the game, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's taking the whole picture in, it's not irrational. I don't know what you're asking. Well, I'm I think he's that, talking about like Easter eggs in, in games where you, you can jump to the next level and these sorts of... Well, yeah, well, I'm saying like if you take like a Matrix-type reality, in other words, there's a physics to the way it works normally. Thank you. But you could go in and you could change... Yeah, I, I understood that part. I don't know what your question is. My question is, would that... If, you're, if, if, there's, if, the, if the game world, the universe, has a physics to it, and you're able to violate those, then is that supernatural? Sure. From the from the perspective of inside the game, sure. Exactly. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. But you'd have no way of actually demonstrating that. Right. Okay. And also, I, I, I found a way to ask my other question without getting into the other. I can ask it in a more basic way. Uh, the thing is, is that my experience with religion has been that I, you know, I, as far as the people in my family know, I'm an atheist because it just. It's just easier that way because they're not interested in, in the more nuanced philosophical aspects anyway. Okay. And I'm also very – I like what you guys do. I'm, I'm one of the people who always, who's always posting and, and liking the other – the atheist posts because of all the good points they make and stuff. But when it comes to a uh, – I get, I get really hung up on some of the more philosophical definitions of God so that I find myself – Kind of when I'm asked asked to uh, you know just conclusively say that there's not a God. Why would you ever do that? Excuse me. Why Why would you do that? So why first, what I would do what? Conclusively say that there is no God. Have you concluded this? No. Or or to put it another way, if somebody were to ask me, do you believe that there's a God? I have to say that I kind of a lot, especially on some of these certain philosophical definitions of it, it's the furthest thing from any kind of a God that I would know through religion, really. Right. Or any kind of a, but I still so feel kind I of think like you're I on the right track. say yes. You're, you're on the right track in the sense that, you know, your, your next question should be define what you mean by God, right? And if, if it's some sort of esoteric definition, then you're, you, it's perfectly okay to say, I don't know. You know, you know give me a demonstration of this God. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested uh, it's also perfectly to, okay to say this has nothing to do with the religion I grew up with or know anything about. You know, what, why are you why are you, why are you bringing up this obscure thing? It's not. It's oh, not. Well, a, no, it's nobody's, not. It's not nobody's up to you. Nobody's bringing it up to me. I'm. This is from my own inv- investigating right, it, and right. you know, I read some. I got into the kind of the whole Spinoza thing because people always bring up Spinoza and Einstein and. Sure. And I looked There's at about as many of, defini- definitions of God as there are people. So sure. And when I look at it, and when I, exactly, and some of the ones that I look at, especially the ones that kind of seem to be more likely, you're going to find in a Western kind of philosophical or scientific setting. Those kind of sometimes they leave me with a little sense that there's actually something solid there. Well, of course there's something solid there. When you, when Spinoza and others define a god of the universe and they define god as being synonymous with the universe, the solid thing that's there is the universe. The problem right. is, is that they have no, the problem is that they have no good reason for applying the god label to it. Well, but Spinoza wasn't a materialist though. And for me, that's the, that's the main way I understand everything is by, by a materialist. 
materialism. Right, scientific and, materialism. And so people, you know, I came across Spinoza and Bertrand Russell talking about, you know, that the that they weren't really materialists, but there was the, this reality, the substance reality had both the mental and the physical aspect. I just thought, you know, this is kind of just blowing everything wide open. I don't know so, what you mean that's blowing it. I, I, I'm, I'm ha- I apologize, but I'm having a real difficult time understanding what you're actually actual problem is because first of all it's not up to you to define a god and then refute it because that path lies straw man sure. um, but the other thing is that there's no apart from gods that are logically inconsistent they're logically contradictory sure. you, you couldn't claim that there is no god um, it, it's just a matter of not believing it and so it doesn't matter whether we're talking about Spinoza's God or the Christian God or, you know, some tiki God somewhere, whatever, the burden of proof is on them to demonstrate that it exists. And when somebody talks to you about why you don't believe, you're not in a position where you're asserting that their God is necessarily false. You are in a position of saying, I am not yet convinced that it's true. And that's all that's required. Well, when I'm, when I'm in a position to, uh, maybe I'm in a situation where, you know, you've got to kind of say, to be part of something, you've got to say essentially, you know, I don't, I don't believe in God. I definitely don't believe in any kind of God. I can't. I don't know if I can honestly do that at this point. Well, that's fine. Of, that's perfectly honest, and there's nothing wrong with that. But well, but I, I, I don't know what the problem is with saying that at all. Um, do you believe in some God? I, I honestly think, can think, yeah, that there is. That what it, what that, kind of God do you believe in? Well, okay, I mean. That there's, uh, first of all, the idea of, I mean, I'm not saying, no, let me be quick that I'm not saying that any of these are, I'm not standing on any of these arguments or saying that I think these are seamless well, you, mathematical you just, you just said that you, you just said that you think you believe in a God. All I want to know is what, yeah, okay. what God okay. do you believe in and uh, why? Uh, the God that is, I guess, uh, the, uh, the, like the ground of being or the, the prime mover, kind of that kind of thing. Why? Um, I, I think it's it, sometimes it's hard to tell what is the when I when I look into it. Like I said, I always come out of it thinking, yeah, this kind of sounds. I think I believe this, but it's kind of hard, like you know, to say exactly point for point what are the exact reasons why. I mean, maybe you know so, something kind of almost intuitive about it, but but I don't you know I don't lead with that. So, but so I, it's compelling I at some level to you. Excuse me. It's compelling at some level. Sure, sure, sure. What's compelling? The, the idea mover, the first that, cause. The, yeah, the, the idea that there's the just the the I think the word Spinoza used uh, was uh, like the underlying uh, the the thing that stands beneath or something. What what it's on not, earth makes you think there's a thing that stands beneath? Because to me that phrase is a deepity. Well, I mean that there's something. Uh, in other words, that there's aspects of whether it's uh, you know first you know, we kind of held that. You know, before they saw that the universe had an age, it was kind of like, I guess, maybe matter and energy were eternal and they were always there. And now, maybe that's not the case, but maybe there's certain principles or rules. That, that, that's a whole lot of this. maybes. Excuse me? That's a whole lot of maybes. I'm trying to get to, to well, actually... Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I don't get into it. I don't go too far with the... I mean, like that's like the thing of, are we living in a... You know, is this reality... Real or is it going to stop it, all it of a seems, sudden? It seems to me that you are willingly falling prey to shifting the burden of proof. You're basically seem to be implying that 
oh, you know, we really don't know, and there could be something like this, and maybe it's like this. That's not the foundation upon which we should believe something. There's a difference between not believing that something is impossible and believing that it's possible, and there's a difference between believing something is possible and believing that it's actually true. And so when I say, do you believe in a God, and you say, well, yeah, kind of, I don't even know what that means. Okay, well, for instance, if you've got two, you're trying to decide murder, and they've got the, the two suspects there, and you and 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 you got this strong feeling about one of them, and you, you even after you hear all the arguments, you see that you see this the thrust of them, and that they kind of maybe lead to the direction of this is not the guy. But when just out of honesty, just sheer honesty, at the end of the day, and I, that's how I often felt about atheism. You know, I, when the Christians would get me into all this stuff about you know, but what we're, about this? We're getting and what about that? And we're getting off track. Answers, we're getting before I had the answers to those things. I would just say. I'm sorry. You know, I don't have all the answers, but I think you guys are wrong. I don't believe Jesus is who you say he is, and, and, and no, I can't prove it, but I just, my, my gut tells me that it's just not. Let's go to your murder example, because okay. I've got, I got other callers and we're getting way off track. Go for it. Let's okay. go to your murder example. You've got two suspects. Are you convinced that one of them is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt? No, not beyond a reasonable doubt. Then you doubt. have to vote not guilty, which means you don't believe. No, 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 no. It means, that you may believe, but but there is a doubt. In other words, do okay, I believe I'm talking. My... I'm talking about making making the decision on whether or not you are convinced that the person is guilty, and that's what right. I mean by are you convinced beyond a reasonable doubt? Well, I think that it's like is my brother across town getting ready for dinner? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he is because he always is at this time of day. Is there a reasonable doubt? Sure, there's a huge doubt. But my gut it, says he most likely is. Okay. So on that basis, yeah, I kind of think that there's a, a God thing. What, that what, is, been, what is the evidence that has convinced you to whatever degree? The, the reoccurrence of the thing over and over again. The reoccurrence of what thing over and over again? That sentence was devoid of content. The, the reoccurrence of this. God idea thing that is more re- that comes before our reality and is uh, uh, preeminent. To, so there's to, a reoccurrence of ideas of alien visitors and Bigfoot. Does that mean it's reasonable to believe I don't that? Know. Well, I don't think that alien visitors and Bigfoot are reoccurrent so much throughout history. And also, I think that it's weird the way the God thing persists so, into science. So is it more reasonable that people have come up with this... God as a gap filler to to things that we don't understand through an error in reasoning or that it's actually true? I would think that it's actually true. Why? We have the rules of logic and everything now, and, you know, even people like Godel and those a lot, Bert, you know, Godel believed in God. And I'm sorry, a lot this of is starting to sound like you tossing out as many things that sound significant as exactly. you can come up with and exactly. making no actual case. Exactly. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if it adds up to a case or not, but enough people over it, when, it, when all the people kind of add together, it starts to get, you know, hey, the bigger so, question. So you're, are, you think that it's a reliable mechanism to truth, to determine beliefs, is to figure out how many people have repeatedly come up with a particular idea? Like, let's yeah. say that the Earth is flat, which is <laughs> which, which was something that virtually everybody believed right up until the time it was proved wrong, and it was. That's not no, that's not really when. 
Go read a book. All right. Well, let's let me say something more constructive. Sure. Uh, there, there's there's uh, a lot to be gained, I think, from learning about logical fallacies and uh, practicing them in in your thinking and reading and, and critical thought. Um, that's made me smarter uh, doing doing that, and and you're less likely to be conned and these sorts of things. And that's good stuff. And I you know I I, I detect some whiffs of logical fallacies in there, and and uh, I think that if you're um, you know, more comfortable with uh, with that knowledge and more confident to, of those things, and you could you could throw away a lot of these arguments. And, and I did throw away persuaded. a lot of those arguments. No, because no, I'm talking to the caller. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, so the, the reason the reason that there's frustration here is because to me, in my head, and I could be wrong, the entire summation of that call is. I think maybe I kind of might believe, yeah. and yeah, maybe I do believe. He's sitting on the fence, and it's because of this, and I really don't know why that should be a good reason to believe. And I'm not sure that there is a good reason yeah. to believe, so but he, I kind of believe he, he this. He needs to crisp up his thinking a bit. So it's um, so one of the things is that if you say you believe something, that is a statement that you are convinced that the claim is true or likely true. Right. I mean, that is an expression that you are convinced of this, and you become convinced for good or bad reasons. And the reason that we ask what you believe and why is because we want to get down to, do you have really good reasons for believing something? Because if so, we'd like to be able to join you in believing for good reasons. There you go. And if you have bad reasons or you can't express reasons or you can't even really you know, put into words what it is that, it, that you believe, and even worse, you can't really express yeah, why. Yeah, well, he's been taken I, in a little bit by the bad reasons, I think, and, and uh, needs to, needs to so understand too. why they're bad reasons. And, well, one of the things that we, that we kind of have come to understand is that we are fallible thinking machines that are pattern-recognizing machines that live our lives by inference and induction, and we make mistakes. Yep. And, and the fact that, we, that somebody has repeatedly come up with the idea that there must be a God, um, I see no reason to think that that's anything more than a repeated mistake because we still haven't solved the biggest questions of the universe. You know, why is there something other than, any, uh, other than nothing? Um, and it's potentially comforting to appeal to this universal grounding. Sure, um, sure. But that doesn't mean that it's reasonable to believe. It doesn't mean it's true. And when you start appealing to... Oh, so many people have come up with this idea over yeah. and over again. Um, I don't just, think that was the only only reason he had, but it was certainly uh, yeah. among, among the bad ones. <laughs> Let's go on to another car. Right. Artie in Charlotte, North Carolina, how are you? Oh, good, good. How are you guys doing? Good. We're What's hot. Up? It's really hot. Yeah, it's, it's hot in here. <laughs> Oh, we got a glow going. I'm sure you can see that. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. What what you got for us? Okay, um, I'll try to make this uh, quick. Um, my my mom is a minister, uh, a Methodist minister, and um, she and, I, and I'm I'm an atheist, so uh, uh, and a skeptic. But um, she said that one night at a meeting, her and her husband were at this uh, church board meeting, and uh, they witnessed spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. And uh, like the whole room went crazy, like like uh, like a Stanley Kubrick movie, like The Shining. Like um, one one dude's face who was sitting at the table where they were, um, he aged like a hundred years, got real wrinkly, and then his face hit the table. And um, there was all this other kinds of real crazy stuff going on in the room. And um, so my mom was telling me this story and. You know, she she's not the kind of person that would you know lie about things and like make up stuff. Sure. And um, 
and her husband was there too, and he was also saying, yes, this, all this stuff happened. You know, their stories were slightly different. Like there was a lady in the room with bleach blonde hair, but then according to my stepdad, he had, or she had jet black hair. So just weird little things like that. And then at one point my mom stood up and said something like, in the name of Jesus, get out of here, or something like that. And then uh, supposedly everything went back to normal. Well, that rules out an acid trip, because I don't care how much you yell. <laughs> um, that stuff's not going to stop for 12 or 14 hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the things is that, that I'd ask, you know, between the time this happened and the time that they told you about it, I'm... I'm assuming that, like normal people, they spoke to each other about it. Right. And it would seem to me that um, when two people experience something and they begin to discuss it, that their accounts are going to begin to merge, that this is natural as they reinforce the parts of each other's story that they already believed and then amplify it. We know that the the construction of memories of events um, is horribly flawed in this sense, and which is one of the reasons why we don't just merely trust an eyewitness account. Um, right. Your mom's going to be upset because you don't believe her. And what you should say is that you believe that your mom experienced something, that she is honestly relaying information to you about what she thinks happened. You just don't believe her explanation or the specifics of the account because you don't have evidence for the explanation and the specifics of the account. Right. Account. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, that was actually basically uh, you, you actually answered the question. Um, That's what that they I pay was... me for. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah just, I'm just it's hot in here. I'm I'm surly. Yeah. But it's yeah. it's it's a difficult situation. I mean, I I got uh, a letter from my mom where she was telling me, you know, that Jesus loves you, et cetera, blah 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 blah, and she ends it off with, you know, your mom wouldn't lie to you, and I didn't think my mom was lying. I thought my mom was honestly portraying. What she believed to be true. I just don't happen to believe that what she thinks is true is actually true. And it's not um, an attack on my mom's character or anything else. I think that she's just as fallible as anybody else. Sure. Um, and I think that given, given this account, the way we would go about trying to figure out what happened is something that we can't do because we can't recreate the event. And there right. are weird accounts like this all over the place. As a matter of fact, there's a 19th century book called Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. Um, right. And I should remember the author's name, but I can't. Somebody know it? Nobody that, in the audience knows it. That's quite an old book, pretty well known. All right, so I'm the only 19th century guy in the room. But um, it's a really good look at this. And there's a number of um, really good skeptic resources that address accounts like this. You, you see... Um, the the mass sometimes they're reported as like mass hallucinations or even somebody will throw out hypnosis. I I wouldn't go so far as that. I wouldn't even begin to posit what the explanation is likely to be. It's okay though to say that there are accounts of this outside of Christianity, for example, um, yeah. where groups of people have experienced something and reported it. You can go to talk to people about their group alien abduction. I don't believe them, right? but they're going to give you right. information. On the memory thing, I'm reminded of a study that a professor did with his students on the Challenger disaster. He, right after it, this was years ago, he asked them to recall and write down what they had done, what they were doing during when they first heard about the Challenger disaster. And he saved those papers and did the same question 
with the same group of people a couple of years later, and they wrote something completely different. And then when the students were confronted with what they had written before, they were convinced that it was a forgery because the new memories, which were probably wrong since mm-hmm. they were later massaged and constructed, uh, the new memories were, had so much power in their minds over the, what was happening really much closer to the event. So I'd be more inclined to trust this, the account right, after, right at the event. Um, so and, and so while there's I all said, sorts of problems here. And while I said there's no reason to, to kind of posit explanations, it's okay to just say we don't know. Um, I'd have somebody check for a gas leak. Yeah, well, that's true too. Yeah, I mean, fine idea. It, you know, it can't hurt to check. Um, <laughs> but help. you know, there, maybe somebody spiked a drink, threw some salvia into the punch or something. I don't know if you can get that kind of. I don't know if you have. To, I don't know enough about the drug to know, but. It doesn't even have to be a drug or anything else um, because when you watch, if you go to like Pentecostal churches, yeah, there are amazing things that happen and people experience things and especially in the pew jumping, flailing on the ground, speaking in tongues, this That's sort of... That's the What's that? That's the hysterical thing, yes. definitely. It's, yeah. it's the sort Mass of thing that, 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 was, that was talked about in the book that I, that I mentioned where there's a great experiment that I saw where somebody gets onto an elevator and yeah. everybody else that's on the elevator is paid and this is the, the one person who's not paid it gets on the elevator and everybody in the elevator turns around and faces the back wall. And they film this and eventually, almost everybody who gets on there will just go with the crowd and turn around and face the back wall so that they're <laughs> facing away from the door. There's absolutely no reason for this. It's silly. But because everybody else is doing it, they do. We know that human behavior is something that is easily manipulated and that in order to avoid appearing to be the oddball, people are going to go along with all sorts of things. The, uh, the is it Milgram experiments where they were, you know, shocking people and, and figuring out just how much mm. shock they're going to mm. give them. Uh, these things go against yeah. what people charismatic thought was their, person was can convince character. someone. Yeah, the Catholic Church of... has got supposed video footage of exorcisms, and I bet if they didn't have the video footage. Um, where you could look at the video and see that uh, there was no demon face popping out of the individual, that, that those accounts would have included descriptions like that as others have in the past. Um, but in, in any case, yeah. the bigger yeah, point it, is it, that you, it's not that you think your mom's lying, it's that you don't have yeah. any good reason to think that her account of what happened is accurate. Yeah, I was just amazed at the you know, how detailed everything was. Like, I mean, I, I, I won't go into the whole, you know, everything that she said happened, but, I mean, it it kind of made you wonder, like, the the one guy's face at the table, then there was another lady who was waving her hands around in the air, like, you know, it, it, and then all, everybody in the room started waving their hands around in the air and all kinds of, like, really wacky, like, acid-trippy kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And... um Anyway, it just, it's, it was just bizarre. And so I'm sitting there listening to my mom going, okay, mom, yeah. And I, and I wanted to say, yes, I believe you because I wanted, you know, because I love her and I didn't want her to feel bad. But, sure. you know, at the same time, I'm like, this is nuts. <laughs> it, it's, yeah, the big thing is to point out that there's a difference between thinking that somebody's wrong and thinking that they're yeah. lying. But the other thing right. is you could just go with her. Yeah. Go with her. Keep keep going to these things over and over again and, and see if they can reproduce it at all. 
Um, and yeah. if, if they're unable to reproduce it with you around, well, that would be curious, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe you have some incredible psychic power that blocks well, maybe, demons. Maybe he's just as suggestible as anybody else. So take a video yeah. camera. Yeah. <laughs> and, and don't rely on your own report. But thanks for the call, Artie. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys very much. Have a good weekend. Sure. You too. Yeah, it's like uh, Memorial Day weekend here in the U.S., uh, so a lot of people have a three-day weekend. So our studio audience is uh, the more full than no- Yay, normal, which troopers. is great. <laughs> okay, this one's going to be uh, Monroe in uh, Dodge City, Kansas. Hey, how are you all doing? Pretty well. Uh, the question that I had, um, just to be brief with the explanation, uh, I have what could be best described as a type of schizophrenia. Uh, I've spoken to several different psychologists, and some have said it's a schizophrenia, some have said it's multiple personality disorder, um, and I'm, I would like to consider myself an intellectual, so I'm able to very well understand it, which uh, I've had some psychologists say that it's incredibly rare for a person to be able to self-recognize a uh, mental disorder. And the major problem, I guess you could say, that's arised from this or has arisen from this is that one of my personalities has a claim. Uh, I know this is sounding ridiculously crazy, but I'm going to bring it back home. Uh, and the claim that this specific individual has, I believe, but I know that it can't be true because there's no it's it's unfalsifiable. There is no way to prove it. There's no way to disprove it. Um, and it's a personal belief that I have. I have talked to people about it. Um, I actually have met other people who have similar conditions to mine. Uh, but I was wondering, is it fundamentally wrong to believe something, even if you know that it cannot, or you are fairly certain that it cannot be true? So you kind of undermined both of my responses, uh, both by pointing out that you have a, a type of schizophrenia, and also when you when you changed it from no to uh, are are somewhat certain. So I would say that not only is it wrong, it's impossible to believe something that you know to be false, um, because that's a contradiction. Um, in, in most situations, setting aside multiple personalities, et cetera. Um, I could certainly see a case where one person, one personality believes one thing and one personality believes another. Um, but for a single agent, a single individual, to simultaneously believe that something is true and know that it is false is a contradiction that I, I, can, only re- I can only get out of by saying that somewhere here there's an equivocation fallacy, that what you mean is not uh, two contradictory things about the same discrete proposition. It's like, I believe X when I know something kind of like X isn't true. It's kind of what I'm saying. It would be, it'd be helpful if we, we had the actual belief. I don't know if you want to say so, what it is. So I think, I think a lot of what you're saying is based on a rational mind. Right? A rational mind can't do this right, or shouldn't do this. They should, they should question those, that contradiction and, and, and arrive at one or the other, right? But an irrational yeah. mind, there's well, a lot no, of no. there's a lot of irrationality in the world, and and there's people of of you know that are torn between two different things. Well, and, this is what I mean by the discrete belief. Yeah, because 
setting aside whether or not you're you're actually rational, and the, and the idea of cognitive dissonance is kind of plays into this. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I, I'm I'm convinced that it is impossible for someone to both believe and not believe the same thing at the same time in the same way. That there is a contradiction there. It's very easy to profess belief while you don't believe, or to believe while you profess your disbelief. But I don't I don't see any path that it, well, the the paths out of this are for there to be an equivocation fallacy where the two things are not quite the same or not well, the, not the same in the same way at the same time. Um, since, since I gave a nickname and I'm a truck driver and I'm constantly moving, so I won't be in this same location two days from now, uh, I don't have a problem actually stating what the belief is. Okay. Um, but one of my – it's the predominant uh, personality that I've had as far back as I can remember, back when I was – six and seven years old, I remember this personality, and it it is made the claim that it is an extra-dimensional being, which automatically brings up uh, quite a bit of skepticism, but uh, it's an extra-dimensional being that is not physically embodied in its personal realm, but in our physical realm, it and beings like it find, quote-unquote, hosts human host, and they dwell within the subconscious, only manifesting if the person is psychologically and intellectually capable of accepting that. Okay, how, do, how, do, how is it that you, I can understand this is the claim and that you or some personality believes it. How is it that you know that that's not true? Well, the, when I look at it logically, um, if there's a claim that someone makes that is absolutely unfalsifiable, which this one is, because we're dealing with an extra-dimensional being. That doesn't tell you whether or not it's true. Unfalsifiable does not mean false. Unfalsifiable means you cannot tell whether or not it's true. And so the actual conclusion is that you don't know that it's not true. You're, you're so convinced. Say, say it more simply if sure. you can. You, you, you are convinced that, um, okay, if something's unfalsifiable, then we cannot determine whether or not it's true. And so when you say that you believe it but that you know it's not true, the part of that that is problematic then is saying that you know it's not true because you have no way to know whether it's true or not. One can be skeptical about it. Yeah, you can, you can intuit that this is unlikely or that it doesn't make sense or anything you know you can you can have things along along those lines um but you have no way of knowing that it's not true um but that's a shifting of the burden of proof because the burden of proof is on the claim that it is true okay so Um, it's it's not problematic to well I, i would say i would say that you shouldn't believe this because by virtue of it being unfalsifiable you have no reason to accept it and you have no reason, no justification to say that it's false. Um, but a proper application of the burden of proof would say that you should not believe this until the burden of proof has been met. So while one of your personalities has a claim, um, it seemed to me that the rational position would be that, okay, that's your claim. Uh, I don't yet believe it because you haven't produced evidence to convince me. It's not well, the position that it, oh, that's just false. I, I guess the reason that I still believe it or that I'm having conflict with believing it is that it's it's like indoctrination. I was raised up as Southern Independent Baptist, and so I'm very familiar with that. You're taught this from the moment you can perceive pretty much anything, 
and when you get older, it's hard to let go of it. It's the whole recovering from religion issue. I was raised up in this, and I was made to believe it was absolutely true. So now that I'm challenging it, I'm having personal issues being able to accept it as being false, even though I have evidence that, or even though it hasn't presented evidence that it's true. Yeah, and see, and see this, the subtle little thing that you said in there that, that kind of betrays the problem is that you're having difficulty accepting that it's false. And one, it, it, this is a problem. This is a big problem with the burden of proof is that once somebody's become convinced of something, there's an implicit and still fallacious shifting of the burden of proof because I now believe this. And so now the onus is on everybody else to prove it wrong because we've accepted it and we, we are convinced that we've accepted it for for good reasons, well, even if we know that it was just indoctrination. And so from our point of view, it's up to somebody to prove this false. And the key thing to grasp about skepticism is that you need to recognize when this is happening and say, wait a minute, I am unfairly shifting the burden of proof. I am saying I'm going to keep believing this until somebody proves me false. And this is itself a fallacy. And because of that, I'm going to have to let go of this belief. I have no choice but to let go of it until such time as it actually demonstrates and meets the burden of proof. That makes sense? Okay. It's, there, di- yeah, it's difficult yeah. to do. We are all horrible at it. We are, we are prone. It takes practice, right. We are in love with ourselves and what we think more than anything. Confirmation bias. Um, and, and as that, soon right. as you've expressed a view out loud, you're more likely to defend it. You're more likely to defend it more robustly. The, the and the smarter that, you are, the, more, the better you are Doing yeah. the, the mind games. <laughs> and in your situation, where you may also be dealing with multiple personalities and schizophrenia, I would imagine that is a, a type of irrational hell that I just, I, I can't even fully wrap my, you know, wrap my head around. Um, and, and so I, I think it's just worth it to continually question everything. It, but there's a great quote from Bertrand Russell, which is, um, it's, it's a good idea now and then to hang a question mark on things you've long taken for granted. Uh-huh. And um, Beautiful. I, I couldn't have come up with anything better than that. And I have a parting well, thought for you, if you don't yeah. mind. Um, you know, uh, mental illness and creativity kind of go hand in hand. Maybe you can, uh, maybe you can use since you're if since you seem to be fairly grounded. Maybe you can use some of this uh, this thought to uh, make some good science fiction or some good uh, good stories <laughs> that, that maybe will make you some I, money. And if I, not, I you think can it's always. Funny go, you mentioned that because I've been working on a science fiction story for about six years now, and now that I'm trucking, I have a lot more time to think, and my girlfriend actually gave me a book to write stuff down in so that I can... She didn't you know, give you Dianetics, did she, because your story is... I think, he, I think she got an empty book. Oh, okay. So good for you. Go, yeah. go for it. Stay away from Scientology, because you're, you're already primed for accepting <laughs> body. Right. That's right. No, Watch I'm, out for those Thetans, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think I'm crazy enough for Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> in total, and believe me, none of the eleven agree with Scientology. That is awesome. Okay, that's insane. You've got a quorum. <laughs> okay. Th- thanks for calling, Monroe. Take care. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate what you had to say. Y'all right. have a good day. Drive safe. All right, we got Brian in Chicago. Thanks for waiting. We've only got a few minutes left. I apologize. You called towards the end of the show. Uh, hopefully, we have enough time. Okay, um, I just wanted to get to the point real quick. Um, My brother called a few months ago and was completely convinced by you guys and loves you guys. Has been making me watch your videos. And I'm a pastor of a small little church here in Chicago, and um, he's been begging me to call. So my point is, 
is that I, I disagree with your whole burden of proof thing because the way I see it is God has written himself on everyone's heart. And you've probably heard the anecdote of the guy in a boat and another boat comes by and he says he's waiting on God to save him. Yeah, sure. I sent you a boat, a helicopter, et cetera. Why, why are you here? I got it. I hate that story. Exactly. That story represents the Bible perfectly. Well, <laughs> I, I, I kind of, um, I, I guess I'm just going to have to, dis- I was also, I, I mean, it says here you were Southern Baptist. I was Southern Baptist in St. Louis area and, and actually uh, worked with some churches in Illinois, although not all the way out in Chicago. Um, so you disagree because you're, you're convinced probably because of Romans one that everybody knows that God exists. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you believe Romans one? Uh, because it's the Bible. Okay. Why do you believe the Bible? I wasn't necessarily prepared for that particular question. Um, you're a preacher and I you're mean, not prepared for a question on why you believe the Bible? I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just, I mean, this, this to me is like the, the basics. What, what, why would anybody believe, why, would I, why should I care what the Bible has the, to say? The reason, the reason why I'm not prepared for that particular question is because you didn't answer what I had to say. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, very poignant. I, I, I might have missed a question. What was the question? Because all I heard was you saying you disagreed. Uh, I was trying to make a point to you. It wasn't necessarily a question. My point was... Well, then how can you accuse me of not knows. answering your question if you didn't ask a question? Uh, your point you is that everybody knows that God exists, and I don't agree with that. And I'm asking you to prove that it's true. It's not about proving that it's true. You're, then, you then you we can are, never prove that it's true. It then we are in an impasse. And thank you for acknowledging that you can never prove it's true, which demonstrates it's irrational. I'm going to have to ask you to call back because we've run out of time. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Enjoy your, your uh, Memorial Day weekend. And uh, I will be out next week because of the debate, but somebody will be here. Okay. Thanks. I agree with you that you cannot prove that it's true, but I believe it anyway. Wow. And I'm the one that's...